Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at the district.church. Good. I got one. Everybody else is frustrated. Is everybody else teachers in here? Is that why we're frustrated? School starts in school. My name is Josh, one of the teaching pastors here at the District Church. And man, it's good to have you guys here. Um, we are Closing out our Abide series, um, we've been walking through John 15, 1 through 17 the last couple of months, and it's been a good time just looking at what abiding in Christ means. Um, and so I, I pray that, um, just like myself, that you guys have grown more in this, um, that you've seen what it looks like to abide in Christ as you walk through your daily life. Um, and I hope that you see that our only source of joy is going to be found in Christ and Christ alone. So abiding in him is going to be producing that. So this morning, uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, the last part of this passage. So we're going to be looking at John 15, specifically verses 12 through 17. We're going to be looking at a topic that's very close to Jesus' heart. Um, And I would even say uh, probably one of the most important topics that he talks about because it's something that is in his very nature. The idea or the topic that we'll be looking at is friendship. And I know that you might think, well, friendship's an interesting thing to say that Jesus cares so much about it. But I think the reason he cares so much about it is because friendship wasn't created. Friendship is something that existed before time. Within the Trinity, which is a very hard doctrine to understand, I admit that, but when we look at the doctrine of Trinity, we see friendship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so within that friendship, we are then created out of the image of God. And so the, the topic that we'll be looking at is, is very important uh, because it's very important to Jesus. And I want you guys to notice that as we read through this passage, Jesus talks about friendship almost more than anything else other than the word abide. He mentions friendship or the love of friend, for his friends at least three times. But he also talks about the love for his friends more often than anything else. And so, for the last time, if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be reading aloud John 15, 1 through 17. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screen. Uh, But what I want to do this morning is I'm going to start reading, and I'm going to let you guys finish. And so, because we're at the end of the series, I want you guys to be excited about it. Um, I want you to read aloud. We're reading God's Word this morning. So, I want to hear your beautiful voices as we read this passage. So, John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. For your love has no one in this, as someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's go to the Lord and uh, pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for the blood of Jesus uh, that covers our sin, uh, has washed us clean, and has made us friends with God. Lord, as we open up your word this morning and look at what true friendship looks like, I, I pray that it would stir our hearts, stir our affections for you to see that we are friends of God. As sons and daughters, we are friends of God. Lord, may that friendship then overflow into how uh, we treat one another, how we have friendships around us. Um, and Lord, ultimately bring glory to your name. And Lord, as your servant this morning is, is opening up your word, uh, use me for your glory. And Lord, may the words of my heart, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My strength and my So growing up, um, there was a phrase my dad often used uh, in regards to my friends. Um, I didn't always listen. Uh, I, I didn't like what he had to say because I wanted to do my own thing. Um, but what he would say about who I was hanging with is, you are who you hang out with. Anybody else have a parent that would, would say that or something similar to that? You are who you hang out with or you become who is around you? Well. I'll admit today, 30 years later, he's right. I didn't want to admit it back then, but he is right. Um, and Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor out in Oklahoma at Life Church, says something very similar. He says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And just like my father, Craig is right. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. You, you are who you hang out with. Friendship, whether we think about it or not, can make or break who we are. And I know the term friends has been watered down because of various social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have friends all over the world. But what I'm going to talk about this morning and what Jesus gets after when he talks about friendship is those true friends who are there for you on a constant basis, who are always letting you in and never letting you down. But most often, people in this world don't see a value in friendship. And we find that even in the church. We have phrases like, it's a, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, but I don't, I don't need anybody else to come into my life. I don't need anybody else to speak into my life. But not only do people have less of a value of friendship nowadays, 
There are some that just don't know how to have them. I want to give you two quick examples from studies that have been done about friendship. A couple of years ago, a survey was asked, over the past six months, how many people have you discussed deeply important matters with? And in that survey, over half of the people who responded couldn't come up with anyone outside of their close family that they had a deep, meaningful conversation with. Some people don't know how to have those deep relationships or keep those deep relationships. And then in January of 2009, this is a funny study, but Burger King ran an ad where they said if you would unfriend 10 of your Facebook friends, they would send you a coupon for a free Whopper. Who would do that? I'd do it. <laughs> 10 people right now have just dropped them like that. <laughs> it's free lunch. Um, but what would happen is when you unfriended those 10 people, they received a notification saying you've been unfriended by so-and-so on Facebook. And the idea behind this ad was to make people think, if someone is willing to unfriend me, this Whopper may, may be really good or must be really good. So I need to go to Burger King and check this Whopper out. Well, within the first week of this ad running, listen to this, 233,906 friendships were terminated on Facebook. And Burger King was obligated to shell out 23,000 Whoppers in the first week. And as you can imagine, they stopped that ad really quickly because they didn't want to go bankrupt. But from this ad, you can see that the value of friendship has been watered down by things like Facebook and, and social media. And yes, those friends on Facebook, they don't, they don't equate to the biblical meaning of friendship that we're going to talk about this morning. But what I want to show you is we have allowed sometimes the world to come into the church to, to kind of devalue what we see as, as friendship. We don't often see it as important. And to prove that to you, I want to ask you this question. How many of you, if you think about your parents, or you think about, let's not, not just say parents, let's say your dad. Think about your father and how many good friends he's got. Can you name any of them? Not, not workplace proximity people but good friends. Can you think about your father's good friends? And if you can, you're in a minority. Because most men stop pursuing friendship after they get married. Because the value of friendship isn't important. And as I say that, I know that I have a young flock of people, specifically men who are married. And my challenge to you is, make sure that you keep other men in your Make sure that you have other men that are friends in your life. Women do it well. But for some reason, men, we just, I don't need anybody. I can do this myself. Because we don't value what friendship brings to the table. Now, I want you to pull out a sheet of paper, or that might be a little bit old school for you guys. Um, pull out your phones. Open up the note app. I, I have a little exercise that I want you guys to do. Everybody. Everybody. Go ahead and do that. And when you pull out that note app, what I want you to do is I want you to make a list of your five closest friends. Now, the criteria for these closest friends is this. They can't be your spouses, and they can't be anybody related to you that you, you know, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, or cousins, anything like that. They have to be legitimate friends outside of family, blood, or marriage. I'm going to stare at you. 
It's starting to put the bottom. Um, you don't have to rank them, just put names in. Um, and I want to pose this question to you this morning. Why is friendship so important? Why is friendship so important? I'm going to answer that question in two points. And I want to look at how we then can become good friends from those two points. Those two points are, we are made for friendship. So friendship is important because we're made for it. Friendship is important because it's what makes us. Sorry if you get anybody that wants to write that down. Friendship is important because we are made for it, and it's because it, it is what makes us. So for that first point, we are made for friendship. If you guys will go back to me, and I, I think we can pull this verse up on, on the computer. I almost said the Anyways, um, John 15, 9. It shows us that we are made for friendship. This verse says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Have you ever thought about this idea that as the Father has loved Christ, Christ then loves us. But this friendship that we see that Jesus is talking about is what I mentioned before. It's eternal. It's something that was not created, but has always existed. From the foundation of the earth, even before anything existed, friendship always existed. God the Father delighting in God the Son, God the Son delighting in God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit delighting in God the Father, and around and around they would go, delighting in each other. C.S. Lewis would call this the great dance. And from this delight, from this delight that they have for one another, we are then created in that image. The doctrine of the Trinity, as I mentioned before, even though it's a hard one to understand, when we look at the doctrine of the Trinity, especially when it comes to how we're wired and who we are, it's going to be the foundation for our understanding. It's going to be the foundation for how we are made, the desires that we have, and friendship is one of them. We are created in the image of God from friendship, from delighting, the Godhead delighting in each other. From all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed in friendship. And as created image bearers, we are made. And it's important to understand that first, because when it comes to friendships and it comes to all of our relationships, your horizontal relationship with the Lord is going to be the foundation for all of your your vertical relationship. I'm glad I caught that. Your vertical relationship with the Lord is going to be the foundation for all of your horizontal relationships that you have. So understanding that the image that you've been made in is what's going to propel the relationships that you have here on earth. All of them. And that's true for every relationship that you have. Whether it's your friend group, whether it's your spouses, whether it's your coworkers, family, married, single, whatever relationships you have in life, the foundation and the quality for those relationships here on earth is going to be based on the quality of the relationship you have with the Father. And as believers in Christ, not just believers in Christ, as, as, as the district church, the basis for why we do series is like Abide, or why we do series is like the Imago Dei, 
is based on this truth. That we want you guys to see that you're created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we have value and purpose. And every single person who is created in the image of God has that same value and purpose. That's why we're passionate about preaching on topics like racial reconciliation. While we're passionate on fighting injustices, while we're passionate about praying and working for the end of abortion, because we understand that every single created person on this earth has value and purpose, because we understand the relationship that we have with God first that overflows into our relationship with people here on earth. If you look back at Genesis 3, in the created order, we see that God creates all things and he says it is good. He creates all things and says it's good. He creates Adam and it's good. But then we see an interesting phrase that it's not good for man to be alone. So we can ask ourselves, why would God say a good creation is not good? It's because Adam was actually alone that it was not good. You see, Adam was created just like God, to be perfect. Yet when we look at God, God is not alone. God is within the friend group of the Trinity. And so it was not good for Adam to be alone, and God saw that. And if you think about the application for our lives from that, all of our problems arise out of our sinful desires, our imperfection. But loneliness is the one problem that we have because we're made in the image of God. We've all heard, I know I've got friends that say, you know, I'm a loner. It's just how I live. I like to go fishing. I like to do things on my own. But that's not how we're created. That's not the image that we've been created in. We've been created to desire true, long-lasting friendships. That's because we've been made out of the image of God. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you are created for those friendships. And we see this, and and I love when the world, especially non-believing people, prove what the Bible has to say, especially in entertainment. You think about this, from Corey, Sean, and Topanga, to Calvin and Hobbes, to Sherlock and Watson, R2-D2 and C-3PO, Sherlock, oh, I'm sorry, Leslie, Nope, and Ann Perkins, Ross, Rachel, Joey, Chandler, Monica, Phoebe. We smile because we know these friendships, right? We, we, we've seen these friendships in entertainment, on TV, but the world is proving to us what the Bible has to say that we long for and desire those friendships. It's because, it's because that's what we were created for. That's what we were created out of. And Tim Keller tells us on this passage that Jesus would say and give us a glimpse of what a God-like friendship actually looks like. He says that a true friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. So we can see from this passage, that's what a God-like friendship looks like. But isn't that the mark of a good friend? Someone who always lets you in and never lets you down? Look back at verse 15. You can see Jesus is a friend who always lets you in. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He's let us in. He's shown us 
the way to life. He's shown us what joy looks like in abiding in him. And he says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And that's important to see because servants don't know what the master is doing. Servants don't know the heart behind why the master is planning to do things. They just obey. But Christ says to us, I want more for you than just obedience. I want you to have a lasting joy in me. When you share your life in every season with me, I want you to have that abiding joy because you are my friends. What's interesting here about the word friendship that Jesus would use, it's the, it's the same Hebrew term for secret. And isn't that what we do with our close friends? We share secrets with them? We let them know the deepest, darkest parts of our soul because we trust them. We let them in. But this is why it's important as well to not have a lot of close friends. This understanding of sharing secrets, we also have to be wise about how many people we actually let in. Because we don't have the capacity to let everybody in. We don't have the space for it. And to be honest with you, it's not even safe to do that. I don't want to get on Facebook and be like, hey guys, here's my deepest, darkest secrets to every single person I know or have. There's got to be wisdom. There's got to be wisdom in understanding who we let in and who we allow to be our true friends. And the second thing that God, Jesus shows us about God-like friendship is that he never lets you down. Verses 13 and 14 say this. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus was so committed to his friends that he would die for them, literally die for them. Before he would let them down, he would go to the cross and lay down his life to make sure that his friends were in the family with him. The beauty of that is there's nothing that you and I can do that would turn Jesus away from us. As his friends, there's no burden he wouldn't bear, there's no shame he wouldn't take on, and there is no offense that he wouldn't forgive for his friends. That's why that hymn, What a Friend in Jesus, is so beautiful. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. That's the friend that we have in Jesus, that he never lets us down. We have a God who came and died for his friends. But when we look at, and, and this is how I like to compare the Christian faith to anything else in this world, because all other religions, all of their leaders are going to leave commandments and say, this is what you need to do in order to follow me. This is what you need to do to reach some type of nirvana or some type of prize in the afterlife. But Christianity is completely opposite from that. Jesus doesn't say, obey me so that I can love you. Obey me so that you can reach this nirvana afterlife. Jesus says, walk with me. You're my friends. Commune with me because I love you. I have made you friends, and I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you to walk with you, to mold you, and make you into the image of Christ. 
because you are my friends. Now, if you go back to that list of names that you have, if you look at them, ask this question Do these friends fit this godlike relationship? Do your close friends let you in and never let you go? And then ask that about yourself. Do you always let people in? Your close friends? Is there wisdom about letting them in? Or do you let them down? Or are you there for them? Did you know that research has shown that the quality of your life goes up when you have a deep, meaningful friendship? Even marriage researchers have shown that the single deepest factor determining the quality of your marriage is the quality of your friendship. Listen to this study. Whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on the quality of the couple's friendship. And for men, whether they are satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on their friendship. We have enough married people in here who can probably resonate with that, right guys? Friendship is important. Friendship is what's going to make that marriage last. Friendship matters because we are made for it. But friendship also matters because it's what makes us. That phrase that I used early on, you are who you hang out with. Probably going to say that more often than not as we get into the what makes us, but you are who you hang out with. Proverbs 13.20 says this, He that walks with the wise man will be wise. But a, command, a companion of fools will be destroyed. Doesn't that sound like that phrase, you are who you hang out with? What's the determining factor of this verse for your life? Who you surround yourself with. The wise man surrounds himself with wise, wise people. The fool surrounds himself with the other fools. As Craig Rochelle said, and I mentioned this before, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And he goes on to say that usually the average, the average life that you have is going to be based on the five closest friends in that group. Or actually, he'll say it even more like this. You are usually the average of your five closest friends. So if you want to take out the extremes of those, those friendships, the five that you have, you're usually the average of them. So chances are, if you're out getting wasted on the weekend, so are your friends. If you're known to be a gossiper or somebody who stirs up strife, most likely your friends are doing the same thing. But if you're passionately pursuing the things of the Lord, if you're passionately pursuing what God has, chances are so are your friends. And isn't this true? If you, if you think about that list, if you think about those closest friends, what they're passionate about. Don't you have a similar passion? Some of my closest friends, they, they love to read, they love to golf, they love to, to, to lift weights, go outside, kayak, things like that. And that, that's what I find myself doing more often than not because that's my closest friend group. In many ways, we, we can do the same. But what I want you to do when you look at that list is I want you to ask yourself, do these people challenge me? Do these people have the same convictions as I do? 
are these people passionately pursuing the things of the Lord? And if they aren't, my advice to you is, is start bringing those people out that are passionately pursuing the Lord and start putting people in that do. But as you do that, start to look at those friends as well that have different desires and different likes that you do. Because how often do we start to choose our friend group, the people that we put in that category of those three or four or five people that we hold close? How often are we looking for just common threads? Common threads that won't stretch us. Common threads that won't take us out of our comfort zone. But if we're looking to reorganize our friend list, or if we're looking to have people that are going to be close to us that are passionately pursuing the Lord, let's start to look as well for people that are going to stretch us, people that are going to take us out of our comfort zones. Maybe they may not have that common thread or that common thing that you love to do, but they love Jesus. And you know that their likes are going to stretch you. And that's going to grow us. Because that's how we're designed to live. That friendship is what's going to make us and I know that I've, I've brought up a lot of surveys. And like I said, I, I love when the world proves what Scripture is already saying. So I'm going to read you one more. Um, in a study done, the friend relationship was the most significant one when it comes to gaining weight. An interesting study. So if your spouse gained weight, you had a 30% chance of gaining more weight. If your sibling gained weight, you had a 40% chance of gaining weight. But if your closest friend began to gain weight, the chances of you gaining weight jumps up to 57%. And actually, what your friends are eating, your close friends, is actually a good indicator of your health habits. So if you have a lot of friends that eat a lot of bad food, you might want to check that out. But you are who you hang out with. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I'll ask this question to you guys this morning. Um, do you guys have anything in your life that you'd like to be better at? Raise your hand if that's true. Anybody? Maybe a better spouse, a better parent, a better student, a better coworker, maybe even better believer. But what I would challenge you is, what if the decision to become better at those things is really a decision about who your friends are and what friends you've chosen to be in your life? J.D. Greer out in North Carolina says that it's not the dreams that you dream that will determine your destiny, but the small decisions you make in your everyday life. And one of the most important decisions that you can make is who you choose to be your friends. You are who you hang out with. Now I want to kind of break this down a little bit because I don't want you guys to walk out of here and say, well, I just can't have a bunch of friends. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I really want to direct you to just kind of being wise about who your closest friends are, who speak into your life. I don't want you to just start calling friends up and be like, look, the pastor said I can't be friends with you. But one of the ways that we can look at our friendships and kind of break down who we're going to allow into our, into our lives, who is going to speak into our life, who's going to have influence, um, is by making concentric circles of your friend group. Does everybody know what concentric circles are? No? Okay, so it's like the circle, and then the circle around that, and the circle around that, and kind of just goes out. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. 
and a rhyming shape instead of so I'm completely confused. <laughs> um, so we take those concentric circles. So the, the, the small one, the small first circle that you have, should be your intimate friend group. It should be made up of three to four to five people. And these are the people that are sharing life with you. These are the people that are speaking life and, and, and having the same convictions, passionately pursuing the Lord. These are the people that are going to have the biggest influence on your life. So it's important that those people share the same convictions as you do. And then the next circle is going to be those who have influence on you. So it's not going to be as intimate as your intimate close circle, but it's still going to be people that have influence on you and you have influence on them. The third circle is those who care for you and who you care for. So there's people you invite over, hang out, still share life with them, but again, you're not as close with them as those who have influence on you, and you're not as close with them as the people that you have intimate, deep relationships with. And then the fourth circle is the whatever circle. Probably your Facebook friends. People that you hang out with, maybe invite them over to parties every once in a while. You do share life in the gospel with them, you have a value, uh, invested value in them, but again, they're not as close as all those other circles. And when you can start to look at or kind of break that down, then you can be wise about who you're sharing life with. Because when we understand that who we hang out with is going to make us, we start to have more of an importance on our friend groups. And guys, I, I, I do want to mention this because I know that we have, we do have a lot of young marrieds in here. And those young marrieds are starting to have babies or will start to have babies. Your intimate friends should be believers in Christ. Your intimate friends, the ones that you're bringing over all the time, the ones that your kids will interact with more often than anybody else, maybe even more than family, because family might not be close, they should be believers in Christ. Because your kids are going to see your actions way more than hearing your words. They're going to see who you bring into your life. They're going to see who you have as friends who speak into your life, and they're going to see as well those people speak into their lives. And so it's important for their spiritual growth to have close, intimate friends that have the same convictions about pursuing passionately what the Lord has to say. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, The righteous man is cautious of his friendships, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. The Hebrew word for cautious here is literally spies out. So what Solomon says about choosing friends is we should be like spies. We should be looking into who we let into our intimate circle because it's going to shape us. It's who we are going to become. And this is why friendship is so important because we're made for it and it makes us so we should be taking care of who we have around us. Now, from those two points, I want to ask the question, how can we be good friends? How, from knowing that we're made for friendship and it's what makes us, how can we then be vehicles of good friends to those around us? Well, a pretty simple answer is to just look at the example of Jesus. Because Jesus is the best and ultimate friend we could ever have. Now, of course, I know that we can't be Jesus to people. We can, we can share our lives. We can share the gospel. We're, we're not going to be that perfect single savior that dies for everyone. 
but we can look to Jesus as that ultimate friend. And I say that because I want to go back to that first point of our relationships that we have. Our relationships with God. So our relationship with Jesus is going to be the foundation for all the other friendships and relationships that we have. And that's the power that we need to live in when it comes to being good friends. It's the relationship with Jesus that allows us to be good friends to others. Because if if not, we're just going to be terrible people. We're going to be selfish. We're going to be worrying about ourselves. We're not going to be good friends. We're not going to allow people in. We're not going to always be there. And like I said before, the quality of our relationship with Jesus, so that vertical relationship is going to determine the quality of the relationship we have horizontally. And the beauty of being friends with Jesus is that we get to live and we get to be we get to be good friends from that power of being Jesus' friends. Because Jesus is the best friend, the ultimate friend, and the friend that he describes in John 15. Jesus lets us in. Jesus humbled himself by coming out of heaven and putting on flesh so that we could have his perfect life. He took on the wrath of God. He opened himself up so that we could be his friends and put his righteousness on us. He went to the cross, literally had his body ripped open so that we then could come into his presence. And Jesus is the friend that never lets us down and he refuses to walk away. So that in your moments of trial, in your moments of pain, in your dark nights of the soul, when that family member is still gone astray, when that phone call comes in and it's cancer, he's there. And he's saying, I know. Come to me. Jesus refused to walk away despite knowing that we would still choose sin over him. And with the joy set before him, he endured the cross in order to make us his friends. Jesus refuses to walk away even in the moments where we don't pursue him. Our friendship with Jesus not only allows us to be good friends, it, be, it allows us to become the right kind of friends that we would want in our own lives. And here's how. Being friends with Jesus allows us to be one. You know, the biggest reason why most people can't open up to others, why you and I probably struggle with opening up to others, is because we're afraid that when we share the deepest, darkest parts of our soul, people will either yawn or walk away. We're afraid that people will either be disinterested or just not even care. We're afraid to be hurt. But the truth is, being a friend of Jesus gives us the power to be vulnerable. Gives us the power to know, hey, I, I may be hurt by opening up. I may be burned because I'm dealing with sinners and I'm a sinner myself. Listen to what C.S. Lewis has to say about being vulnerable. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, 
Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternate to this tragedy, or at least to risk the tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Love, to love, is to be vulnerable. And being a friend of Jesus allows us to be vulnerable. And it allows us to be vulnerable because we have safety in Christ. Look back at verse 16 with me. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now you may read that verse and think, man, is Jesus preaching Calvinism? No, he's not. And while that doctrine of the unconditional election is a very beautiful doctrine, you guys can go and look it up and we can talk about that later, the beauty of this statement that he gives is that we have safety being friends with him. Jesus didn't choose us to be his friends based on anything we've done. Jesus didn't choose us to be friends based on our righteousness. He didn't choose us in eternity past knowing that we would finally choose him, and so he became our friends. This isn't some romantic comedy or Disney movie where this ugly duckling Jesus sees and says, oh, if I just help it out, it's going to be a beautiful swan. No. Jesus chose us because of his grace. Jesus chose us out of his love, despite our hatred towards him, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us to make us his friends. And what that means is now we have safety in friendship with Jesus. We have safety to be vulnerable around people. We no longer have to be afraid of opening ourselves up to be vulnerable because someone more important saw all of us. Someone more important saw every deep, dark secret that you hold on to, every deep, dark sin and in your past in your present, in your future, he saw all of that and still chose you to be his friend. Therefore, we can have safety in being vulnerable before, before others. And in that safety, we can open up and share our weaknesses. Because that's when real connections happen, right? When we share our weaknesses, nobody's impressed by our strengths. But many people are impressed by when we can open up our weaknesses and say, hey, this is where I fail. This is where I falter. This is my sin. Here's all of me. That's where true friendship is born. So being a friend of Jesus allows us to be vulnerable and allows us to have safety. But being a friend of Jesus gives us the power to show grace. You know what's an inconvenient but universal truth? True friendship is hard, right? True friendship is hard. Not, not that light friendship. It's easy to text somebody and be like, man, this weather's beautiful. Or did you see what the cults just did? It's easy to talk about that. But true friendship is hard. So I'm going to be honest with you, people suck. I'm not allowed to say that. People let you down. Selfishness gets the best of us. 
people are inconsiderate and blind to your needs. But let's be honest, when it comes to true friendship, you suck. You let people down. Your selfishness gets the best of you. You're inconsiderate. And you're blind to the needs of others. But true friendship is hard. And if you don't know how to show grace, then you'll never have lifelong, satisfying, trinity-like covenant friendship. But it's only through Jesus and his friendship to you, his friendship to me, that we're able to extend that grace. Because we understand that we've been forgiven so much, and therefore we can go and extend that grace to others. We have been accepted, and therefore we can accept those around us. J.D. Greer says, Jesus' friendship with us gives us the freedom to become the friend we've always wanted for ourselves. And the cool thing about this topic, that this topic of friendship, it's not some ethereal topic that I'm going to say, go out and I'm not going to give you any practical advice for. We, we all have friends. You guys wrote it down in, in your list. We can look at this friend list. We can look at our lives, and we can easily translate being what being a good friend is into our lives. One of the avenues that we believe that this type of friendship, especially at the district church, is going to develop in is our mission groups. I mean, this this message is an easy plug for our mission groups that are coming up. In a couple of weeks, we will open back up our mission groups, and, and you'll be able to share life in the gospel with those around you. This is going to be the lifeblood of the district church, where you can get vulnerable and open up, knowing that you have safety because Jesus has made you his friend. And I'll just share with you real quickly, because um, I love my mission group. Um, I, I'm a single guy. You guys can see that. And I would go to a missional group with a bunch of married people. But I intentionally walked into this missional group saying, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to open up and share where I struggle. And hopefully that will be reciprocated. And it was. I was able to share life in the gospel with the Durans, with the Johnsons, with Bryce. Anybody else in that mission group? I'm sorry if I didn't mention them. But I was able to share life and open up and be vulnerable and share what's going on with me. Because I knew that because I'm a friend of Christ, I have safety. I don't have to worry about what other people think of me. And that opens up for true, meaningful, long-lasting relationships. And so that's my prayer for you guys as well, is that we would take this, we would take this advice, we would take what Jesus has to say about friendship, and we would apply it in our lives and in our missional groups. Because like I said before, the district church lifeblood is going to be those groups. It's going to be the vulnerability, the opening up, and understanding the safety that we have because we're friends with Jesus. And if you want more information about those, you can come see me after the service. Come see Jeremy. We'll write it down on one of our communication cards. We'll, we'll get that information to you. But join a mission group. That's where you can apply what it means to be a true friend. And finally, guys, what greater way to celebrate our friendship than partaking in communion? Partaking in communion with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their lives for their friends. And I want you to think about that for a second as we prepare for communion. 
Who can actually lay down their own life? If I see you in danger, and I step in, I risk my life, and I lose it, it's not true that I've actually given you, given my life up for you. I've sacrificed a few more years. I've allowed you to live a couple more years, but I haven't given my life up because my life is already forfeited. I was going to die anyway. The Bible says that death is just an executioner. No one voluntarily dies because all of us have death coming to us. And it's very morbid and I understand it. I'm going to get to my point here. Jesus is the only friend who didn't have to die at all. And yet he did to call us his friends. He did this for you. He did this for me by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood on the cross so that you and I could be friends of his. And so as we celebrate communion this morning, my prayer is that you would remember that. You would reflect on that. You would rejoice in what Christ has done for you to make us his friends. Because he was the only one that could give up his life. And he did it. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross and endured that pain to make us his friends. So as the band comes up this morning and we begin to close, I'm going to pray. And in the time of prayer, I would just ask that you guys remember, reflect, and rejoice in what God has done to make us his friends. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the sacrifice that you, you had in laying down your life for us. To make us your friends. If we see that you are the ultimate friend who always lets us in and never lets us down. And Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we ask that knowing that truth, we would be able to live that out in our own lives. That we would be vulnerable with people, knowing that we have safety because you have chosen us to be your friends. Lord, I pray that being your friend would allow us to be able to show grace even greater to those around us. Lord, we come before you this morning and we praise you for and the gift of mercy that you've shown us. That while we were yet sinners, enemies towards you, you died for us to make us your friends. And I pray that in this, in this time of communion, that we would reflect and we would remember and we would rejoice in what you've done for us in breaking your body and shedding your blood. And may that stir our affections within us. And may we see you as greater. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church.
Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at